soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. So we pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 12. We get the narrative where it says, Then one from the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he, Jesus, said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, oh, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this day, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? And so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're going to get some other passages after this that link all this, but let's just stop here for now. Who made me an arbitrator over you? I have to at least address this briefly, that having been in ministry for 30 years, it is uh, interesting, and it's uh, something that every pastor experiences early on, where someone wants to leverage the pastor against someone else. Well, the pastor said this, or, hey, pastor, we got this dispute in this, uh, with this renter, and we, you know, we need you to step in and tell them they better do this, or better do that, better clean the dishes, or better pay the rent on time, and this stuff. And you'd be surprised, you probably, maybe some of you have never even thought of this, how many times people want to make a pastor an arbitrator. You do have legal arbitrators, of course. You have uh, different parties suing each other, where they agree to an arbitration, and even now with uh, the sport of stand-up paddleboarding, the SUPs, they're in uh, arbitration with the, the Hague, the court with the Hague, over who actually controls the SUP for future Olympics beginning in Paris 2024. The canoeing people or the ISA, and they're all fighting over it. And they're in arbitration. So they all have got good lawyers, and they're all arguing over it. And who's going to control stand-up paddleboarding in the 2024 Paris Olympics? Arbitration is that means where someone hears both sides and they say, this is what you should do. It's, I guess we could say safely that, and if not in all cases, in most cases, it deals with the temporal, right? I remember we had a congregant here in our church who was involved in arbitration. And it had to do with uh, the community of a lake and, and uh, what they were doing with their property within this lake, this gated lake community, and how that played out. And they went to arbitration and they lost, and they're really upset about it. Sometimes you win in arbitration, sometimes you lose. What did Jesus say? Hey, get things right before you go before the judge. Think about that. Jesus said, he's like, hey, you know what? Just when you're on your way, just go like, hey, let's just resolve this before we go before the courts. Okay? 
And so it's always better if you can just figure things out with other people and as much as up to you live peaceably with all men as much as you possibly can. Of course, some people cannot live peaceably no matter what you do to try and help them, but at least do your part to do so. So when I see this text, this, it's, so, it's so human, isn't it? It's such a family issue. It's such a will and trust in the state, isn't it? I mean, you get just a few adult children and a parent with money stepping into eternity. This pretty much summarizes human experience. I say this, we're all socialists if we feel like we're not getting our fair share and someone's getting more than us and we think all should be equally distributed. That makes us a socialist. But if we can get more than someone else, we're all capitalist. It's the human nature. If someone wants to give me more, nothing wrong with that. Sorry for you, they just chose to give me more. But if someone's going to give you more and me less, no, nah, I think it needs to be redistributed. It got to be fair to everybody. This is the human experience. And the craziness about these things, contextually, does this really happen? A guy actually really went up to Jesus and said, hey, tell my brother, share the inheritance. So it's probably a younger brother upset with the older brother, because in that culture, usually the older brother would have the one, you know, even in our society, when there's adult children who manage an estate for the elderly parents, it's usually by default almost as always the oldest parent or oldest adult child, if you will. And I can just so picture this. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I got to tell you, the context of this is like, there's nothing new under the sun. So, hey, Jesus, hey, pastor, tell my sibling to give me my fair share. This is the context. And many of you know, a couple of years ago, this was the word of the Lord for me. This literally, this passage, and I have no problem talking about it. Two years ago, this was my morning devotion on a Saturday morning. And then I listened to Pastor Raul's message when I had been gone in Chile, and it was the exact same message, this passage. I was like, what are the chances of that? And then on Sunday morning, I woke up early and listened to Nate Gallagher, who was teaching for his dad, my son-in-law in Vero Beach, uh, live broadcast, and would you know it, is the same text. Now listen, I can be a little slow sometimes, I can be a little sharp sometimes, but if I hear the same passage three times in 24 hours, I'm thinking that's a word of the Lord for me. And in my own personal life, this passage uh, came to pass because it was shortly after this that we had to help my dad go into assisted living. My mom almost died, and eventually I've been entrusted in taking care of my parents' estates. And it was not choppy, or as one of my siblings said, it got a little muddy there, okay? And uh, so I've lived this passage. This passage was a word of the Lord for me personally in uh, one of the most arduous, difficult times of my life, working with my parents and my adult, child, my adult siblings to find peace and amicability in resolution of who's going to take care of the elderly parents and what it looks like. And fortunately, praise the Lord, and I do mean praise the Lord, it's in a good place right now. And by trusting in the Lord and seeking to be faithful, there's been restoration. Because two years ago when this happened, my sister was on the streets and a drug addict and an alcoholic. And there was craziness with my brother. And by God's grace, through just saying what would take the high road and just trusting things to the Lord and seeking to be faithful, it's had a really good, good, good resolution. But I know what this is like. I've talked to many of you where you've seen this happen. And... If we're not careful, if we think and believe that someone is taking something from us, we can get very defensive about that, especially if it's family. That's the context, by the way. And if we're not careful, we might feel like we need to tell Jesus, tell them, tell my sibling, or tell my parents, or tell the in-laws, or tell somebody, tell the judge that 
this is my fair share. And we might say, this is what I deserve. And we might get upset and we might demand that and say, Jesus, make this straight. But you know, it's never about the money. And I tell you guys this all the time. It's about the heart. It's never about the money. We were singing that song with Danny, Only One Life Soon Will Pass. Only was done for Christ for last. What a beautiful song too, huh? It all gets left behind. But in Christ we stand in the legacy of our life. That transforms time, space, and matter for all eternity. We don't ever want to reduce Jesus to being an arbitrator. We don't ever want to make Jesus like our leverage against somebody. Pastor, tell my husband to be nicer to me. Pastor, tell my wife to submit to me. Pastor, tell my kids to get a job. Pastor, tell my parents to share the inheritance with me. You know, it's just like, that's not the ministry, okay? Like, that's the stuff that bogs people down in ministry, and then they usually leave the ministry over that kind of stuff, but they let it run their vision of what pastoring is. Pastoring ministry is the apostles in Acts 6, where it says they focused on the word and prayer, and then they could minister and serve. That's the real focal point of apostolic ministry in the early church, and that, of course, is what we keep our priority. So just a good opening word here when we think about our riches in heaven and uh, being rich toward God right away in this opening context, because this really happened, Jesus, I mean, for Jesus to say, who made me an arbitrator over you? Those are strong words if you think about it, right? Like, who made me an arbitrator over you? Like, he's the savior of the world, not the arbitrator of family disputes. He's the savior of the world, not the trustee of the living trust. He's the savior of the world, the risen savior. We don't ever want to lose focus on that. The cross is about redemption of the souls, which is very costly. It's not about arbitration between human beings who can't get along and and just esteem someone other than themselves or truly trust the Lord with an injustice. And I've said this before many times. In 1 Peter, when it says about lifting up, offering up spiritual sacrifices, and you ask yourself, what can you offer up as a spiritual sacrifice? Because Christ is our sacrifice, and it's not Jesus plus my spiritual sacrifices. And we're told in Romans that we're, present ourselves, we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices, so that's, that's reasonable. But what you find in life is when we have injustices and unfairness, that we make those spiritual sacrifices. When my mom had had her last rites read to her just earlier this year, and I was there ministering to her, and, you know, of course, my mom lived. <laughs> and with my Catholic mom, the humor of all is just beyond measure, if you understand Catholic humor. She said, he didn't do a very good job, because I'm still here, you know. And, and uh, But it's interesting that the nurse said to me, are you the favorite child? And I said, not at all. That's been made very clear verbally for 30 years, for 57 years. I am not the favorite child, but I am the one they trust. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I have the final decision on everything. Be the one people trust. Be the one that people trust. Be the family member that people trust. Be the family member that can handle all the resources and not touch one penny. Be the pastor that can handle the resources and not touch one penny. Be the person at work that they might make fun of you as a Christian and your boss might even ride you as a Christian, but he, you're the one they trust because you show up early and you do your job and they trust you. Let's be that person. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Be the one 
that doesn't need arbitration to make things right. Be the one that trusts in the Lord and that people trust you because you trust in the Lord. That's who you want to be. Uh, Riches and cars and things, they'll pass, but we'll stand in Christ for all eternity. It's a good word, and I can't go past this passage without sharing in my own life that God gave me this text three times to prepare me for what was around the corner. And, and I didn't know how to handle so many different things that came my way over the next six months. But when I came to what I didn't know, I fell back on what I did know. And I knew God spoke me to this word. And it's like, it's not about Jesus being an arbitrator. It's about being a servant, honoring my parents, respecting others, and being as best I could to be faithful in the stewardship that was entrusted to me. And even so, it is for all of us. If we're going to be rich toward God, be that woman, be that man who's got an eternal perspective on any wealth that is entrusted to you and understand that it's only of temporal value that can be sown abundantly temporally for eternal things. And that woman, that man will be prosper. They will prosper and be fruitful in the things that God has for them. But if our money controls us and our decision makings are based upon getting our fair share or setting right an injustice and fighting people, we will always end up losing because it's never about the money, it's about the heart. And I always reference that man that stood there over 10 years ago and shared with me how his partner had ripped him off for millions of dollars and he had let it go because he said life is too short to go to court for five to 10 years to resolve this. I just made an offering to the Lord. Man, who made me an arbitrator over you? This is how this text starts. Remember a couple weeks ago, it was like, Jesus healed the mute, and everyone's like, wants to fight over, he does it by the power of Satan. But it started with a good thing. This whole text tonight is, who made me an arbitrator over you? Don't reduce Jesus to legalities of the human experience. Exalt him as the savior over all of our experiences for time, space, and matter and eternity. And that's how being rich toward God begins. We don't need him as an arbitrator. (laughs) We need him as a savior. And if he's our savior, we can trust him with everything we would possibly think we need arbitration for. Because a man can receive nothing. A woman can receive nothing. Unless it comes to the Lord. And the blessings are in obedience. And if he wants to prosper, great. If he wants to chasten, let God be true and every man a liar. Just let him be the Lord. Let him mold and shape the character because the greatest wealth we'll ever have is to be transformed and become more like Christ in the human experience than what we could accumulate to let somebody fight over when we're gone. Now, Jesus took the application with this parable of this rich man and he said, it's, it's take heed, beware of covetousness. So his immediate teaching from being asked to be an arbitrator is just beware of covetousness. So covetousness, of course, is thou shalt not covet. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's within us to want more than what we have or to want something that someone else has. But, of course, the Bible tells us with food and clothing, these things be content. And we brought nothing into the world. It certainly will take nothing out of the world. When Job lost everything and he was a wealthy man, and in one hour, most likely, it came the news from every corner that he lost all of his wealth and all of his family. He said, naked I came from the Lord, naked I'll return. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. So it's not about the possessions and being covetous. It's about knowing if God is blessed, he's blessed. And it's about being faithful with what he has blessed and letting him be over all that he is blessing. In the Old Testament, when it talks about Israel and the covenant being the head, not the tail, the blessings were based upon simply having a right heart with God. 
God said through Moses, you can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose the blessings or you can choose the curses. If you obey, you'll have the blessings. If this word will not depart from your heart, God said to Moses and Moses said to Joshua, do not depart to the right or to the left. You will prosper in all that you do. Do not fear. I'm with you and wherever you go and whatever you're called to do. This is the principle of God's word that he has for the New Testament believer as well. He's with us. So he gives us what we need and we ask him for what we need and we don't need to be covetous. And you know, I mean, I think we all have a point where like, I always say this, whenever I go to Salt Creek, particularly, and you know, you're walking on the backside of Salt Creek to Killer Dana there, Dana Point, and those houses are like $20 million homes because they've gone up another million in the last six months, right? Like everything else in Orange County. But sometimes you're like, man, that would be sweet. That would be a sweet ride right there. I think that like, wow, man, that would, ooh, that'd be sweet. You know, you go to Shaw's Cove. Let's, you know, we don't have to have the house at Killer Dana that's worth 20 million. How about the one that's worth 5 million at Shaw's Cove right there at the private access? Boy, I said to my wife a few weeks ago at Shaw's Cove, I was like, man, that's a pretty cool house right there. Wouldn't that be like, that sure beats assisted living right there, man. You know, like that's, that's the way to go. It's like, really? You know, like, I'm just kidding, you know, like, but I think we look at stuff like that. You know, I'm driving a church van in year 30 of its existence and thank Ross for donating it to that church years ago. See, when the kids are gone, I get an upgrade in cars. When the kids are all home, I drive the church van. See, the church van's out there tonight. That means Timmy's home and Hannah's coming home. I'm back to the church van. The one thing I like about the church van is no one messes with that big white van. That's one thing Orange County understands. Your van could hurt my Beamer. Your van, van, van could hurt my Mercedes. Your van could definitely take out my Lexus. So the van rules. But when I'm driving the putt-putt. Everyone's like, lead, follower, get out of the way, a little putt-putt, right? So, you know, you just have to laugh about these things. There's different things where like, boy, you know, that new Lexus is a good-looking ride. I don't have a, you know, so with trucks, like, I'm not a truck guy. So you people, like, you look at new trucks, and you see the new truck, like, wow, look at the new truck. I'm like, I'm just not a truck guy. I've never been a truck guy. They're talking about Toyota sponsoring the U.S. surf team, and they asked me, what kind of car would you want if Toyota gives you a car? I'm like, oh, yeah, I want the, you know, like the, I want the Corolla, like, like you know, Kyle Busch drives a NASCAR all souped up. I want to be going down Beach Boulevard, like, like Kyle Busch, you know, in pit row. And like, the kid's like, what? You want the big one, the big, you know, you at least want to ride. Like, no, I just want to be like, I want to be like Kyle Busch in NASCAR, like coming down Beach Boulevard. Like, They're like, really? Well, I'd like a Dodge Dart too, right? Or, you know, like, you know, like, or, you know, it's like, there's always something more that you could have. But, you know, many things that you would covet that you want to have, it's probably better you don't have it, right? Think about it. Because the funny thing about possessions is, if they're the Lord's, you, you in a sense own them because they're the Lord's and they're entrusted to you. But some things, they actually end up owning you. And then they own you. Your possessions own you. And it's funny when you look at rich people because some of the richest people ever, they you know, talk about like Warren Buffett, these people, they still live in the house they bought for $20,000 in you know, Iowa 40 years ago or something. And they own billions and billions and billions. You know, it's like, how many zeros can you have? And how much is enough? How big does the barn have to be before it's enough? Before you can say, soul, take rest and ease. See, that's the danger of wealth. Temporal wealth that can deceive us from eternal wealth. The things that really matter. And so that's why covetousness is a, is a, a tricky thing. That godliness with contentment is great gain. And now, if you're a school teacher or you're in the service sector, like a, a, a pastor or things like that, 
my kids all grew up knowing that there was a limit to what we could have. In our household, it's always going to be Toyotas and Hondas and donated church vans from Ross, Deacon Ross. I just, if I had that liberty, I would never exercise that liberty just because it's just not, and I don't even see it. It's like it doesn't, I'm not, I just, I like cars to go from point A to point B. And we get a pretty nice, you know, Camry looks like Kyle Busch, great. If not, no big deal. I'm certainly not going to buy it. And even though I got it, I don't even know if I'd use it. Because covetousness, how much is enough? See, the flesh is never satisfied. And when Pastor Chuck's son-in-law, who died of cancer, Jan's husband, the last five years of their life, it was always more and more and more for the house. And from his own testimony to the minute Calvary Costa Mesa years ago, before he stepped into eternity from terminal cancer, he said that he wasted the last five of his years, five years of his life, focusing on his temporal house instead of his eternal house. And that's what can happen. And so Jesus says that our life does not consist in the abundance of what we have, the possession of temporal things. And really, real wealth is people. It's so funny, like, you know, when your kids are young, you buy them something really cool, and it costs like 80 bucks, and it's such a big deal. And then they, they end up playing with the box instead of what was in the box. You know? When we lived in Cardiff when the kids were young, man, we were the masters of, like, the greatest entertainment for free. We used to drive down, you could park right there at San Diego Airport where the planes take off and land. We just parked the car there for 30 minutes, and every time the planes would take off, Timmy was like, you'd be like, <laughs> you know, just like free entertainment. It's better than Disneyland. It didn't cost anything. And we'd stop at Rite Aid on the way back, and you could still get thrifty ice cream even then for a couple, couple dollars for three scoops instead of three scoops for 15 cents. That's going way back. But, you know, it's just so interesting when you really find out, like, we're the richest poor people you'll ever know. You know, it's just like, it's amazing where there's a content heart, there's so much peace. I follow Sean Havilar and his ministry there in Ethiopia with all those orphans. And it's just amazing to me how much joy those kids have in their eyes. Of course, the Havilars adopted two kids too. And it's just amazing, like, how, how happy is the person who is content And you often find that the happiest people in the world have the least. And you often find, but not always, the people that have the most things in the world are the least happy. They got to have more. It's not good enough to be the richest man in the country. You got to run the country, right? So what's every rich person not running the country looking to do right now? They're all looking to run for president in 2020. Because if you're that rich, you should tell everyone what to do, right? So if the current president's that rich and he can get there and tell them what to do, there's other people that are really rich and they can go and tell other people what to do different than what the current president tells them to do. Honest to goodness, the human experience, it's pretty comical if you step back and have peace with the Lord. You just go like, man, there's nothing new under the sun. And of course, we move on from this, what Solomon said, you work so hard and you earn all this stuff and then you die and your kid wrecks it all when you're gone. That's up paraphrase translation of the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, but it's very true. Jesus says, take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of the things he possesses. Yeah, this guy, what am I going to do? See, if you trust in the Lord, he's got it. But if you trust in you, it's, you got to have it. What am I going to do? I'm going to do this. I will say to my soul, take your ease. 
And Jesus said that that person from this parable, that person who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. That's the danger of covetousness is it moves us from trusting in the Lord and being content with the Lord to being not rich with the Lord. Real wealth, real equity with God is to be at peace with God, to be content with God, and to just be enjoying the relationship with God. What could be of greater wealth than having a relationship with the living God and knowing he cares about every little detail of your life? Nothing. There are people who lay in bed and they think about everyone trying to take their money. I remember going to lunch one time with a multimillionaire and uh, he was laughing about certain things and he said, the problem with having a ton of money is everyone wants to spend it for you. And they all have an opinion of how it could be spent. And he said, I'll tell you what the greatest problem about having a lot of money is. And I said, what's that? And he goes, you lay in bed thinking about who's trying to take it from you. No kidding. I never did that. (laughs) I've lost sleep for a lot of reasons, but I never lost sleep thinking about who's trying to take my money. (laughs) Yeah. Take heed of covetousness. Man, be be, be rich toward God. Now we read on. Jesus is going to expand on this. He says in verse 22, Therefore he said to disciples, Therefore I say... To you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.